0: Last week, we looked, last week, we began uh, this two weeks of looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes is a, is a path to hope. And he, he takes us to some pretty dark places, he, you know, he, because life can seem very arbitrary and meaningless. Life can seem very difficult and evil, but we still can have hope because we believe in a good God. God is never surprised when bad things happen, and so our hope is firm when we believe in good God, and what belief we have is enough. So this week, I want to continue the series to close it out, and Solomon makes this point early, really, in the book, and that is that since we have hope, living wisely is a lot better than living foolishly. Living wisely is a lot better than living foolishly. In other words, since it matters anyway, because there are times that we can feel like life doesn't matter, that it doesn't matter what we do. Well, since it does matter, being wise is a lot better than being foolish. He says it over and over again. One of the verses uh, in Ecclesiastes is Ecclesiastes 2.13. He said, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. Wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness we can stumble along in the darkness if we want to but why would we when we can have some light so the question is what's wisdom it's a pretty good question wisdom is related to knowledge but it's not knowledge because you can be wise and not have a lot of knowledge wisdom is related to intelligence but it's not pure intelligence it's wisdom is good judgment wisdom is the ability to make good choices in a given situation, it's situational. You know, and it doesn't take much to find bad judgment. You know, if you've ever searched YouTube, just try it and forgive me now for it, but YouTube fail video and just start laughing because, you know, people have bad judgment and they show us all the time, you know. In a, if it's 20 degrees outside and you are in front of a pond or a swimming pool, you probably shouldn't try to jump into that pool for a lot of reasons. One, it's going to be really cold or it might be iced over. Either way, it's just a bad deal, bad judgment. You know, if you're standing on top of a swing set, which I don't know why you do that really in the first place. And you think, you know what? I think I want to try a triple backflip off of this thing. You know, that's probably, there's like one way that works out well. You know, And the rest, it just doesn't go so well. So there's bad judgment. I mean, we can find bad judgment everywhere. I'm so thankful that I was not in college in the era of cell phones and camera phones and social media. I'm so glad for that. I told a college story last week. I'll tell another one today. My roommates, I lived, the, the roommates that I lived with, we had one rule in our house. And that rule was don't get mad. Because something was going to happen to you. We, you someone was going to mess with you in some way literally every day. Four out of five times, if you were taking a shower, there would be someone would try to pour a uh, pitcher of ice water on you in the middle of your shower. That that would happen. It was consistent that if you walked around the corner, someone was going to throw something in your face before you even knew that it was going to happen. I mean, it was just, there was always something happening to us, and so we were always doing something to the other people. We had one guy, a poor guy, moved in my senior year. We told him early in the year that one of the roommates had the sleep problem, that he walked in his sleep and that he had violent nightmares in his sleep. Of course, he didn't. this is not true, but we told, told this poor guy, yeah, so Andy, so, you know, he really, he has this problem, and what Andy would do is he would get up about 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning and just rampage around the house, throwing things, knocking stuff over, and he decided that he would chase a lizard. Where's that lizard? And he would just, I mean, it was crazy, and he would, I mean, we, and, He wouldn't tell us when he was doing it. He would do this, but we did this for more than a year. We never told him. Well, we we told him, like, way after we graduated. But this poor guy would go to, like, Bible study and ask for, you know, is there any prayer requests? Oh, man, my roommate Andy, you know, (laughs) he's got this problem. You know, so, I mean, it was don't get mad because something now, you know, that poor guy actually told that story at Andy's wedding rehearsal (laughs) Like trying to get Andy (laughs) and that was when Andy decided to tell him, you know, the jokes on you, bud. Sorry. I mean, it's just don't get mad, all right? In my apartment, we had a window above the front door, which is perfect for like throwing pitchers and buckets of water on people as they come in or leave, right? So that's that was what happened. If you came in, someone was gonna try to pour a bucket of water on you. If you were leaving, it didn't and listen, it didn't matter if you were going to a job interview, it didn't matter if you were going to finals, it didn't matter if you were going on a date. There was one of the guys, he literally would study up there and wait for people to come home or leave. And it's just just weird. So we had umbrellas. I'm not lying. We had umbrellas. Like it'd be a perfect fall day, and you'd come out to the door, go to the door, get your umbrella, open the umbrella, open the door, and walk out. And you were glad you had an umbrella because somebody had poured a bucket of water on you. So wisdom is situational. Somebody's coming in, I'm going to pour water on that person. Well, one day, there was a girl in our apartment complex, her name was Meredith and uh, she was on a date she was she was leaving to go on a date and the guy who would sit up there and wait for study at the window so that he could pour water on people what a sad thing but she was walking by and he thought ah victim and so he dumps a bucket of water on a neighbor and just so happens that she was on the way to a really special date and she was wearing a white button-up shirt and it did not work out well for that guy. He has a permanent scar across his, the bridge of his nose where she fastballed her keys right in his face when he came downstairs. <laughs> like, so, you know, wisdom is situational. Bad judgment, it happens to us all the time. So what is wisdom? How do we get it? Well, first of all, the first, you, know, you might begin to think that we gain wisdom by learning from our mistakes, which is true. We get, we are smarter, we make mistakes, and you know, I'm not doing that again, except that learning from our mistakes is pretty difficult stop and think about it just for a minute it's it's actually pretty rare to learn from your mistakes significantly I mean now we do learn from our mistakes but if you stop for a moment think about your life there's a pretty good chance that you've made similar mistakes over and over and over again whether that relates to what you eat Whether that relates to how you spend your time, how you spend your money, there's a pretty good chance that you've made lots of mistakes, but you still kind of gravitate towards the same types of mistakes. See we have these tendencies, because of our psychology and our emotions, we all have these tendencies that we have to fight. And so oftentimes our instincts are wrong, oftentimes they're right, but oftentimes they're wrong. So we learn from our mistakes, but, you know, it's not just that simple because we don't always learn from our mistakes. We tend to make the same mistakes over and over again. So how do we gain wisdom? Well, first of all, ask God. I said this last week. Wisdom, um, Solomon is so wise. He was wise before God gave him wisdom because God said, what can I give you? And Solomon said, would you please give me wisdom? James 1.5 I, I said this last week, I'll say it again this week. James 1.5, it's a promise that God makes to us that he will answer the prayer every time we pray it. It's like the only promise like that in the Bible. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously without reproach. In other words, no matter what situation you find yourself in, if you have gotten yourself into trouble, you can still ask for wisdom and God will give you wisdom. Bible says he will give it to you ask for wisdom do it daily make it a consistent prayer one of the things you should pray every time you speak to someone and it's an important conversation every time you stand up in front of a group every time you have a decision to make you should begin the whole thing by asking God for wisdom the Bible says he will give it to you it's awesome you will find yourself making different choices after you pray that simple prayer than what you would have done just walking into it without saying that. We also gain wisdom through wise counsel, coaches, mentors, people who speak into our lives. And I mean, wisdom is really important. I mean, it's, it's weighted because foolishness is weighted heavily. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10, chapter 1, Solomon uh, says that dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little bit of foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Wisdom is, foolishness is so destructive that just a little bit of it can jack up a bunch of good stuff. We all know the story. You do pretty good for most everything, but then that one choice you make blows it all. So wisdom is vital. We should ask for it. And then when we seek wisdom, we seek wise counsel, mentors, coaches who speak into our lives. And here's where Proverbs come in. Proverbs is part of the, uh, the book of Proverbs, but Proverbs is a type of biblical literature. It's not simply biblical literature, but there are Proverbs in the Bible. Uh, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is full of Proverbs. There's other places in the Bible with Proverbs proverbs are like coaches or mentors or wise counsel the way we read a proverb it's not like a promise a promise is like first john 1 9 where if we confess our sins god is faithful to forgive us of our sins that is a promise a proverb is more like a truth a truism generally this thing is always true so you should try to do it most of the time that that's how we read our proverbs and Solomon wrote these things down. So in a way, by reading through Proverbs and the wisdom literature of the Bible, we can be coached by the wisest man who ever lived. So some of the things he says, just uh, I picked a few just randomly. He says in, in chapter 10, verse 12, he says, Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. That's a proverb. The words of a wise man or woman are gracious, but a fool runs his mouth and it gets him in trouble. So, as a coaching, as a mentor's wise counsel, we can take from that that in general, we should be speaking graciously when we have the opportunity because it's always more wise to speak graciously than it is to pop off and mouth off. It's just wiser to speak graciously. We lose nothing by speaking with grace. We risk lots to lose when we run at the mouth. Another proverb, chapter seven, verse 26. I think about narcissists. I discovered more bitter than death is the woman or man whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from that person, but the sinner will be captured. More bitter than death are the relationships that we have with people who put their hooks in us and snare us and keep us. The wise person gets away from those people if it's possible. Seems pretty simple but for some reason again we look at our tendencies we have a tendency we can have a tendency to get suckered into relationships where people are selfish and they dig their hooks in us and it's more bitter than death is what solomon says again just a coaching just some mentoring he says i love this because it's just so practical chapter 7 verse 21 do not take seriously all words which are spoken so that you will not hear someone cursing you for you have also realized that you likewise have many times cursed others so solomon again he's a mentor he's saying look ease up don't take it so seriously when you overhear someone saying something bad about you However it is they choose to say it, whether it's behind your back or to your face or to a friend or on Facebook or wherever, just, you know what, don't take it so seriously. Just stop for a minute and think about how many times you have said something bad about someone else. Just ease up. Don't take it seriously. Again, just wisdom. Solomon says that the ability to identify and appreciate good is the essence of wise living. The ability to identify and appreciate good is the essence of wise living. Chapter 2, verse 24. This is the man who did so much, researched so much, built so much, ruled so much, owned so much, did so many things. He says this. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment. He says something like this four or five different times in the text, in different ways. Eat, drink and be merry. Now he doesn't necessarily say for tomorrow we die, I mean, but, that, but he does, you know, we've taken the, that out of context, but he does say, look, I've done all this stuff and I'm going to tell you, the best thing in life is when I can eat and drink and have some enjoyment with the people that are in my life. Just simple joys. The ability to appreciate good is the essence of wise living. This is offensive to us often in our culture because we are the culture that says more. More. You can be more, you can do more, you should achieve more. It's not just AP, it's IB now. you you, You have to accomplish so much in your life. It's like we are addicted and we're sick in that we think more is always the answer. Better is always the answer. And so this is kind of offensive to us to have someone say, you know what? Chill out and be thankful that you have some time to chill out. That's kind of hard. You know, the Solomon says in four, chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Better is one handful with tranquility than two with toil and strife. Think about that. Better, better that you have a little bit with peace than you have more with toil and strife. And I, like I said, I stop and I think about what we trade. So often we, when we go for the bigger house, the new car, the more, the more important job, there's a cost with more. There's always a cost that comes with it. And oftentimes we don't count that cost and we lose the tranquility. Jim Collins, there's a saying that came out, you know, it's actually been around for a while, but Jim Collins coined it. He said, the good is the enemy of the great. Jim Collins wrote the book Good to Great, which is actually a pretty good book. But that phrase, the good is the enemy of the great, it's meant to inspire us that, you know, hey, you know, good is, yeah, it's cool. Good is good, but hey, you can't settle for good because we want to be great, which Okay, that's cool. I'm not sure that ever, I mean, in the book, he talks about how, for the most part, things were pretty good, but, you know, we, we need to be great. I'm not sure that we always have good. Good is a pretty lofty thing. This saying, good is the enemy of the great, I did a little bit of research on this. It's completely backwards from, like, the wisdom of the ages. Voltaire, the French author, said... the opposite thing he says the best the best is the enemy of the good in other words we trade good by trying to get the best Confucius you know six seven hundred five six hundred years before Christ Confucius was you know philosopher he said better to have a diamond with flaws in it you know because we all want a diamond that's like white and perfect right Better to have a diamond with flaws than to keep searching to find the perfect pebble. So the diamond with flaws is a lot more valuable than to continue seeking the best. Shakespeare wrote, this is in King Lear, the Duke of Albany, who's like the good guy. Uh, He says, I want to get it right. He says, in striving to be better, oft we mar the good. In striving to be better, we mar the good things in our life backwards. Seeking more is the enemy of a good life. About a decade ago, I got fixated, and I'm going to tell a couple stories here. None of them make me look good, so feel good about that. About a decade ago, I thought, you know what, I really want an off-road truck, all right? I just got to have an off-road truck, because you know, here in North Texas, You know, there's a lot of Baja racing that happens around here, you know, and there's a lot of desert, and I didn't want just any off-road truck, I wanted a two-wheel drive pre-runner, which like I said, that's straight up desert racing, and there's no desert around here, I mean, I I just had, I just got fixated on it, and so I bought a truck, I bought a truck from a guy in El Paso, because it had like the perfect setup, so I, I literally flew to El Paso and drove my new truck, new to me truck home, it was purple, all right, purple and gray, I kept saying it was electric blue, it was purple, it was just purple, all right, so I took that thing home. I just, we just had our first son, Zane. Ter- you know, I, this all plays into these tendencies, right? Like I, I was starting to feel a little constrained, midlife crisis kind of starting to hit. I'm not having exactly what I want, so I wanna go, out, I wanna go for it. I wanna get something awesome that I want. So I take this truck and the first thing I do with it is I, cut, I take an angle grinder and I cut the suspension off of it. Because you know what? I need, a tra- I need 19 inches of front suspension travel living in Dallas, right? So I'm, I'm under that thing. I've got metal filings falling into my eyes. I'm working all day and all night on this thing while my, you know, my wife's like, hey, Jason, where are you? You know, we got a new baby at home. I'm like, oh yeah, I just gotta get this done. I gotta get this done. I'm so fixated on this truck. So I get that done, cool. Got the suspension travel, the wheels canter out like this. I mean, it doesn't exactly look right, but you know, hey, it's a pre-runner, right? So then I needed a good motor in it for sure. <laughs> so I decided to rebuild the motor buy some new head, do all all this kind of stuff, and I'm pressing for time, because I need to get this thing done, and I'm assembling all this stuff at about three o'clock in the morning in my garage. Never a good choice. Again, striving for better. We mar the good. So I get the motor together, push it out into the driveway, fire it up, and it starts on the first go, which is pretty awesome. And I'm like, yeah, I'm loving my truck, this is awesome. Yes, I have redneck tendencies. and so I'm like, yeah, I mean, and I, I'm covered in grease. I mean, I'm, I mean, because I had essentially rebuilt the thing from the ground up, and I mean, I'm mean, i covered, my eyes are kind of the only light things on my face, my hand, I mean, I'm covered in grease. And I'm like, it's time for a test drive, oh yeah. And so I fire it up, and it starts right up, and I take off, and I go out to the highway, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm loving my truck. And you know, I don't bother to bring my cell phone, because that's, that would be the wise thing to do, and I was clearly not being wise. I get on the highway, I get it up to about 60 miles an hour, it's got pretty good power, and like about 10 minutes into the drive, it goes it doesn't like it just stops, the engine stops, and I start rolling, coasting down the highway, and I make it up, you know, up and off ramp, and I I roll into a Sonic parking lot, and I'm like, great, I've just blown up my motor. I mean, because that's what I did, I blew up the motor. I put something on backwards, and, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, you can't see very well. So, you know, that's a hard, con- that's a hard phone call, by the way, because I didn't have my cell phone. So I go walking into Sonic, and I'm covered in grease, and I have to call my wife. Sweetheart, you know, she's so gracious and patient. Uh, I blew up my truck. <laughs> and we wind up spending another several thousand dollars to get the thing fixed. Never ran right. The transmission went, and I wind up just selling the whole thing in the first place. And in, in the end, I sold the whole thing. That's not, now that may be a story that I tell about something that I do, but we probably could collectively tell lots of stories about houses that we bought that we shouldn't have, or new cars that we bought that we shouldn't have, or jobs that we took that were much more taxing than what we thought they were going to be. In seeking the better, in seeking the the best, often we mar the good and we miss it. We just miss the good. Solomon says there's nothing better than to eat, drink, and be merry with the people that are important in your life. There isn't anything better than that. That's the best that there is. We should celebrate good. It's hard. Because when you think about human nature, go back to the Garden of Eden. God says to Adam, we've given you all of the trees of the forest, except for one. One. So, I don't know how many trees there were in the Garden of Eden, but I'm guessing that there were at least a million. I mean, a lot, right? Because it's the earth and all. Of all the trees on the planet, all of them you can have, but you can't have one. Adam and Eve say, i got to have that one. It's human nature. We have to learn to celebrate the good. Kid brings home a test. One of the worst things we can do is, I mean, let's say they man in 95. One of the worst things we can do is ask them what went wrong. Nothing went wrong. They met in 95. Celebrate the good. Our brains can mess us up with this a lot. I'll tell another story. Several years ago, I had several surgeries in a row. I'd had a, an accident and several reconstructive um, surgeries. And I'd been on painkillers for. A long time because the surgeries were in a row and I, mean, I guess I was on painkillers for probably nine months or a year or more and not just a little bit a lot of painkillers because it was I had a pretty extensive reconstructive surgery and it came the time for me to stop taking painkillers because you know you should stop <laughs> There's, you know it's not something you should keep doing so I stopped and my body went into revolt because I had gotten adjusted you know I had, I had become acclimated to using my, my body was you know dependent And I felt like I had the flu, I didn't know really what was wrong, I was aching all over, but the worst part of the whole thing was what was happening up here. Despair like a blanket. Acute withdrawal, I mean, the emotional part of it is, and so I, I I was just in the darkest, blackest depression and had no idea what was wrong. And there was one day I was in the kitchen, and again, my poor wife, she puts up with a lot. I look at her in the kitchen, and I say, I literally said this. I said, I feel like there's just not really anything left for me to look forward to. And I storm out of the kitchen, and I walk through my living room with my three children in the living room, playing in the living room. And I made it to the bedroom, and I went, wait a minute. That's, That's not factually true. What's wrong with me? I've got a lot to look forward to. I've got three great, I've got three beautiful kids. What am I saying? I'm not making sense. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm not thinking straight because of this painkiller thing. And it took about a week to ten days to get past it. But it came, you know, it lifted, came back. But that that kind of emotional Depression will make us say and do things like that. We have to stop and factually look at the good things in our life and appreciate them. That's called gratitude. And it is a practice that we should do daily. We should practice gratitude daily. It is the essence of wisdom to say thank you for everything good because all good things come from God. All good things. We should take the time when someone does something for us to say thank you. We should make the effort to say thank you for the things that people have done for us from the past that we may have forgotten. We should stop daily and thank God daily for the good things and if you you have good things in your life, I promise you. At the very least, you have Jesus, which is everything. Stop, slow down, hit the brake pedal, decelerate. Make a, begin making a list, literally write it out if you need to. The good things in your life, they will far outweigh the negative. We tend to fixate on the one tree When there is a forest of good behind it, the wise person focuses on the forest. Gratitude. You know, I just want to say about some some things, you know, like like I said a minute ago about jobs. Some jobs just aren't worth it. The amount of work you're going to have to put in, what it's going to take from you, it's not worth it one handful with tranquility versus two handfuls with strife and toil. Sometimes buying the new house, you know, it's just not worth it. Like you're just, you're just getting more square footage or you're getting a bigger, I mean, sometimes these things just aren't worth it. I know so many couples who get, for whatever reason, bored. And there might be a neighbor or someone at work or someone from your past Starts feeling, start feeling a sense of attraction to that person, even though you're married and have been married. Can I just say, I wanna talk specifically about that. That's not worth it. You might think, you might be sitting there looking at it, thinking, you know, this is, this is what I need to be happy. And I'm just, it's just, a, it, I, every situation is different, but in general, it's not worth it. The cost is massive. And fidelity costs everybody. Slow down. Take time to acknowledge the good in your life. Take time to do it to yourself. Take time to do it with the people in your life. That is the essence of wisdom. The acknowledgement and appreciation of good. Solomon continues in in Living Wisely. He says, what we do not know is much more than what we know. What we do not know is much more than what we know. Ecclesiastes 8, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on the earth, people getting no sleep day and night, then I saw all that God had done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Every, even if the wise claim they do it, no, they cannot really comprehend it all. Can't comprehend it all. So to kind of help with this, you know, the point is that there's a lot more that we don't know than what we know, a lot more. And that's just kind of the beginning point that we need to take with life is that there's more that we don't know. I have did a little graph for this to kind of help us. So let's put up, it's a pie chart, you know. Uh, Let's put up the graph of of what we do not know, all right? This is the graph that represents the amount of knowledge that's out there that we don't know. Talking on a cosmic level, on a theological level, on a personal level, just in knowledge in general, okay? Because Solomon, in his book, goes wide and deep. So this is a pie chart representing what we don't know. Let's go ahead and add the piece of the pie that says what we know. Yeah, see, it doesn't really change. (laughs) We couldn't get the pixels small enough, all right? So... I mean, think about this just for a minute. What we don't know, on a cosmic level, time, gravity. We're not exactly sure how those things work even. And yet, right now, we are all the subject of time and gravity. We're we're not even sure how it works. We think have some theories. There's so much in the universe that we just don't know. Theologically speaking, we hold to a systematic theology because it's the best way to kind of get at the belief systems that we have. Systematic theologians take the Bible and you read the whole of it and you make uh, statements called doctrine about what the whole Bible says about God. But God is a lot bigger and a lot more complex than what could be contained in a single book. So, for instance, in theology, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, if you've been around church, you've heard those terms, you understand that language, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet in the Bible, there is no, like, Trinity verse. There are places in the Bible where we see all three persons of the Trinity, and so we kind of extrapolate out, this is the Trinity, But there's just so much we don't know about how that works. Personally, anytime you assume assume someone else's motives for anything they do, you're just setting yourself up. Because there's always more to a person's story than what you know. Always. Cosmically, theologically, personally, there's always more that we don't know than what we know. What that means for the wise person is the wise person lives with a sense of wonder and an openness to learn. Wise people are not closed-minded. That doesn't mean you believe everything that someone says, but it's really foolish not to listen at all. Wise people approach life with an openness and an open-mindedness and an open heart. Wise people lead with questions instead of statements. Something happens at work. Someone's late again. Instead of just, it's always wise to ask, is everything okay? Because the last thing you want to do is tear into someone on the morning that they've had an accident. Is everything okay? Wise people lead with questions. There's so much more that we don't know than what we know. There's a statement that one of my very favorite professors of all time uh, begins his class with, it's uh, Dr. Glenn Crider. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna have us practice this right now because it's just really healthy, okay? He, asks his, he has his whole class repeat after him. And so we're gonna, do, we're gonna do this little exercise, all right? It's a really healthy thing to do. Everyone, I want us to say in a moment, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Powerful statement. I might be wrong. So let's all try it. One, two, three. Wow, you guys are good at that. It's good. That's not saying anything. You're not giving anything away by saying that. Because the truth is you might be. Now there are some things we can know. Some things that we can. There are some hills worth dying on. But we die graciously when we die. There's so much that's just not worth getting upset over because you know what i might be wrong about that i'm not exactly sure how the inner workings of the trinity goes so i'm not really going to get into a huge argument about that i'm not exactly sure how god works out free will plus predestination i don't know how that works out i really don't but i know both are talked about and and, uh, put forth in the bible so i'm just not going to get into a huge argument over that because i'm not sure how god does it but i I trust that he he does it because that's what it says. I might be wrong. It's a good thing to remember. Talk a minute just just for a second about social media. Social media is the most powerful broadcasting tool in human history. More powerful than any TV, individual TV or radio station up until social media took off. And when I look at what people say on social media, can I just encourage you that, I mean, Solomon says in chapter one of the Proverbs that fools multiply their words. So on your Facebook page or Twitter or whatever it is that you use, if you feel the need to jump into a, you know an argument about any video that you've seen or any scandal, can I just encourage you that we, there's always always more to a story than what we get in an article or a blog post on Facebook. And so social media is probably not the best place to spout hot opinions about really anything. Social media is so powerful. Somebody on the other side of the world can read what you've read, what you wrote, and it's just not a very good place. multiply your words because it is multiplying them into a megaphone that goes around the world. And listen, you might be wrong. You come out against any individual political candidate with some, you know, flaming post, you might be wrong. It's just not a good place to be wrong because it's so broad and so big. Solomon has a conclusion. You know, he I said that uh, Ecclesiastes is like a journal. It goes around and around. But he does come to a conclusion. He says it. Uh, It's in the last two chapters of the book. Solomon's conclusion. Honor God. That's his conclusion. Pretty simple. Honor God. Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Solomon had a very high view of God. That last section there, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, good or evil. thought of the the book by Oscar Wilde, The Picture of Doy and Gray. Where the guy, he never ages, but he's got a portrait made of himself that ages. And like if he's got these horrible habits, the habits show up on, somehow in the portrait. And I often wondered what a portrait like that would be of me. That just, a, a portrait that included all the bad stuff that I do. You know, because I present this, but, I, there, but there's another part of me that, you know, and I, I've often wondered what, what it would be like if we just showed the stuff that we do. If it just showed. And the truth is that God has that portrait of each of us. He sees it all. And Solomon had a very high view of God. I'm not sure that culturally we get this because we are so um, democratic in the way we approach everything. And God's not really democratic. He's not even a republic, republic, you know, democratic republic. God is God. Solomon said that when you come to the house of God, you should watch your step. Don't make a vow that you don't plan to keep. He said, don't speak the words of fool, of a fool in the house of God. It's just not wise to do so because God is God. He's got that picture of you. And everything will be brought to light someday that we've done. And so you know what the wise person does. The wise person honors God. And for the, any of you out there who might be, um, I'll just speak real you know, factually about the situation. If there is a God, And he cares about how we act. It just makes sense that we would honor him. That just makes sense. That's wise. And I'm not willing, you know, I made the choice a long time ago for a lot of reasons. But man, when we pretend that, when we act like there's no God and think that our actions don't matter, we are gambling with our very souls. It's not worth it. Honor God. That's what a wise person does. He says, to honor God in your youth. And then he goes and he paints this word picture of what it's like to get older. And here's the truth. It is easier to honor God when you're young. We kind of get the thing backwards a lot. We think that, you know, young people, teenagers, young men and women, they, they have a problem following God because they're so wild and crazy. But the truth is that the older we get, the more responsibilities we have, the more hooks that culture sticks into us, the more bills we have to pay, the more that rides on everything we do, When we, it's just much more difficult to follow God with a whole heart when you have all of that riding on you. It's better to learn how to do it when you're young because then when you're older, you just have the habit. I wanna close this with this thought. I think the book of Ecclesiastes is about faith. And I think that overall, if there's one thing you can take away from today, it's the need for gratitude. A good life is a life of gratitude because you have good things. You've got to stop and slow down to appreciate them. You do have them. Jesus sent, uh, God sent his son Jesus to die for you. There is no greater gift that anyone could have ever given. You always can be grateful for that that is the thing that takes a person from death to life is a relationship with Jesus and we all have the opportunity to do that practice gratitude start there and if you have not done that yet let me encourage you that today would be a great day to trust Jesus let's pray together Father thank you for today I pray that we would stop to be grateful consistently. Thank you for your son. Father, help us to live wisely and in hope. It's in Jesus name we pray.